going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of We All Deserve to Eat, a place where we will share experiences and build perspective, and most importantly, grow together. Whatever your reason for being here, however you found this space, I'm glad you're here, and thank you for joining us on this journey. What's going on, everybody? So, I hope you've all had a great week. We're winding down the school year for those of us in Canada, specifically in Ontario where I am. I know that uh, a lot of my teacher friends and colleagues perhaps who listen to this um, in the States uh, have already finished up their school year. So congratulations to them. Um, I did get some comments on my TikToks about when are you done? And then some of my international TikTok friends were commenting how they're not done till the end of July or December or September. Um, because of obviously different school years. So I didn't mean to throw salt in the wounds there as I get ready to uh, close this school year and start enjoying my summer. But uh, I didn't want to talk about that today. I wanted to continue our discussion today, and it's going to lead into next week's episode as well, about we spoke last week about teamwork and stages of a team. We spoke last week about how teams come together, why teams fall apart, And most importantly, the difference between a group and a team. Today, I wanted to start with a little bit on a little bit of a different note. And we're going to talk about five recognized dysfunctions of a team. And usually it's not my style to start off on sort of with a negative connotation, but it is going to connect into the end of this episode. And it is going to connect into next week when we talk about various leadership styles. And today I wanted to talk about again sharing one aim, a common goal, and perhaps why teams tend to break down or groups tend to never really come together and form that camaraderie to form a team and will always stay a group or stay individuals in the same jersey or individuals working for the same organization. So the first that I wanted to identify, and again, these are are just a few of many perspectives. You, You definitely will have heard these before maybe labeled something different through my teachings this is what i've classified them as and and what i've collaborated with other teachers through our different studies and through our different findings and putting together our teachings and curriculum but in talking about five dysfunctions of a team there are ways that teams can break down and the first i wanted to identify was inattention to results how a team can grow whether it's through the various stages or whether it's from project to project or how they can keep growing as individuals that will then benefit that common goal and that shared focus and that shared aim that really separate that group from team mentality. But not paying attention to results and doing anything about it, which sounds more obvious than it is, but especially when things are going well, we tend to get what's called complacent we tend to sometimes get stagnant. We get comfortable in where we are. And I think that can be very dangerous, especially in a team mentality, when you are recognized perhaps as the top or the best, and the others are doing nothing but working to improve and continue to grow so that perhaps they can attain that number one spot. So inattention to results, whether good or bad, Bad is easy to grow from. 
And like I say during my classes when I teach presentation skills, anyone can go after a presentation that doesn't do well or someone that didn't prepare for their presentation. It's hard to go after somebody who sets the bar incredibly high. It's hard to look at yourself and wonder how to continue to grow when you feel like you're in a good place, whether it's work or you know mentally, emotionally, physically. How do you keep growing? How do you strive to continue to be the best? Because there is a saying, it's not getting to the top, it's staying at the top. And it's absolutely true that the top is a lonely place to be because you do have a target on your back. Whether you want to believe it or not, when you are seen in a light where you are perhaps in a position of power or authority or in a position of being ranked or seen as the top, there's always an audience that is going to channel that as their own motivation to figure out what they can do to also achieve those results. Now, the second one is something we've all been guilty of, but it's avoidance of accountability, deflection of responsibility, coming up with, again, more cliche and more common, but excuses. And we may justify those and turn them into reasons, but at the end of the day, if you encompass and exhibit that mentality of team first, you will take accountability. And you see this all the time in particularly, I know I talk about sports a lot and I speak about sports a lot, but you see individual athletes who don't sometimes handle their end for the team. They take full accountability for what they do. And you also see that team mentality of never letting one person take all the accountability. Right now, for example, the NHL playoffs are going on, and you always see if a team loses 3 nothing, 4 nothing, the goaltender will always take accountability that they needed to be better. And every single one of his teammates in this case takes accountability in their own regard, in their own aspect, and will come back with something like, yes, we need to keep the pucks out of our net, but we don't win very many games not scoring anything. When we can't put pucks in their net, how are we supposed to score? How are we supposed to win? How do we expect to achieve the result we want? Avoidance of accountability is very easy to do, and it can be, it can be very dangerous. So it's important, again, we sometimes don't see what we do, and we have to be mindful of that. And that's a continual growing process. I am very guilty of that trying to find sometimes reasons as to why my solution would have worked if only, if only. And I've gotten better at catching myself, but we're all guilty of it and we still do it and I still do it as well. Now, the third one is a fear of conflict. A lot of people, including myself, don't necessarily welcome conflict. We don't like confrontation, especially as a Canadian. My goodness gracious. If anybody here has the stereotype that Canadians are polite. Yes, we are, but we also just don't like conflict. Let's just be straight up about that. We like to get along with people. We like to highlight their positives. And it's tough sometimes to give constructive criticism. And especially if you know them and have a personal relationship with them, and that's a whole nother episode that we will talk about next week when it comes to leadership styles. But we will talk about the separation of personal and professional. If you can separate that, then the fear of conflict has to be minimal. You have to understand that 
in order to be held accountable or to be identified sometimes as you not taking accountability for your actions results in conflict, results in that identification. And sometimes it's emotional. We talked about that before with conflict resolution, the different types of people. That was way back in episode two, which seems like forever ago now, even though it's only been a few weeks. But we spoke about that. Nobody likes conflict, but if you can find a way to resolve that and keep your focus maintained on the big goal at hand and what you're trying to achieve, this is what's going to trump everything. This is what is going to surpass any amount of doubt or fear of upsetting people or of stirring up or changing up situations. Now, the last two are sort of connected in a sense of lack of commitment and absence of trust. Now, beginning with lack of commitment, you see this sometimes in amateur sports. This is where I see it most. You see it when there are contrasting philosophies or coaching methods of how to do one thing versus another. And one thing that has to be conveyed, especially to young people who are listening to this, and also adults, we're not immune to this as well. But more and more, for parents who have athletes that are young, Coach Frank Martin and Coach Gene Oriema, two of the NCAA, both men and women's coaches, men's and women's coaches in basketball respectively, legends of the game, have all spoken about non-technique or non-skill related items that are intangibles that they look for when recruiting athletes. The first is body language, and I'll get more into Coach Oriema's philosophy on that in another episode. But in particular, Coach Frank Martin speaking about what's more important in this specific case, technique or attitude. And he speaks about the importance of attitude and that commitment to having his players or having employees and colleagues buy into and believe in the philosophy and the mission of the organization or the team. And that starts from the top down. If you agree with the mission and you agree with what the organization or team stands for, it's a lot easier to believe in it and to buy into it. And maybe at first your philosophy, the coach's philosophy or the leader's philosophy, is not always something that you see at first and you have to build that perspective and appreciate it and question it and question your own beliefs or or your own methods and philosophies as to why someone else has something that may be so contrasting towards yours. But that connects into my last point and the last point of this episode because I wanted to keep this one a bit shorter. But it has to do with absence of trust. And we talk about absence of trust being applicable in many different ways. But in this particular case, in a true leader, in a true team, whether it's a coach, whether it's a supervisor, a director, a general manager, if there is trust built, and this comes both on a personal and professional level, If there is trust and belief that your leader, your team leader, has not only the team's best interest and the organization's best interest, 
but also your individual interests in mind and at the forefront, it's very easy to establish that trust. And that can come in many different forms. It can come from a simple conversation. It can come from showing that one's own dwelling or one's own environment is approachable and hospitable. It can be through a personality and establishing a degree of approachability that you might have not seen before with said superior or said coach. Trust can be established many, many different ways to achieve success within a team. But it's the absence of trust when people then go rogue and go based on their own philosophies, whether informed or not. That's when conflict arises that nobody wants. That's when you see a lack of commitment to the overall goal because everyone has their own philosophies. And from there, when things go wrong, because you didn't really believe or you had a team or a group, I should say, that didn't really believe in the philosophy, no one's going to take accountability for it. Therefore, the results really don't matter because you already know which direction they're going to go. Those are the five dysfunctions of a team. Those are ways that teams can fall apart. There are stages that are so crucial that we spoke about last week that are necessary for a team to go through and to dismantle these dysfunctions of a team through that process. Next week, we're going to speak about leadership styles, where different leadership styles are most applicable, perhaps why, is it, why it's important to have a little bit of the three to four that we're going to identify next week, and perhaps why at one point there may have been more noticeably one style of leadership in certain industries and why that societal shift in perspective has had to take place. Why the identification of leadership styles being effective or ineffective and having captains and coaches and supervisors and leaders of teams, why their styles have been called into question. Why something may have worked 20 to 30 years ago that doesn't necessarily work now. But what can we take from each of those leadership styles at various levels that we'll talk all about next week. I know that's sort of just hanging sentences right now, but I promise we will get more into leadership styles next week. I didn't mean for this to be more of a sort of negative of, oh, this is what can break a team apart, but you need to be aware of these things. We all need to be aware of these things and keep them at the forefront that if conflict arises, this is a natural part. We cannot be scared of it. We need people who believe that the cause is greater than the individual and that the specific cause that you are trying to achieve or the specific goal you are trying to achieve, everybody believes in their role and they believe in the philosophy to get there and the strategy and the path to get there. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. I appreciate you very, very much for being here. I know this was a shorter episode. I cannot wait to talk about the various experiences that I've had with leadership styles and leadership experiences and where I feel I'm at. For now, I want you to enjoy your weekend. Again, if you're in education, 
in Ontario and Canada specifically, sorry, I just lost my train of thought for a second, <laughs> specifically in Canada and maybe the eastern part of the United States, anyone who's still in school right now wrapping up their final week, congratulations on an amazing year. You earned every bit of your summer, and I hope you take this weekend to relax. Thank you again for joining me on this journey. If you have any questions at all, my email is we all deserve to eat podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to hear about any topics that are spoken about, I would uh, appreciate an email. I'm always open to discussion, and I look forward to hearing from you next week. 